This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. Ton to do today, as always. I want to tell a story coming up about uh, Hernando Cortez. Also, I got a great story about Napoleon to explain what Donald Trump did with his tax returns with Rachel Maddow the other day. Um, Which, by the way, those tax returns, he absolutely leaked those himself. (laughs) There's no question about it. If you've been listening to this show for the last two years, then uh, you you knew right away that he leaked those himself as well. Fits perfectly into stuff he's done for decades. Um, So we'll talk all about that. And then we'll uh, talk about the cafe standards, the, the fuel mileage standards, which President Trump put the kibosh on the other day. Kind of. Uh, we'll talk all about those because most people don't understand how the cafe standards work. And I'm actually going to I'm going to talk about it from the perspective, not of a free market constitutional uh, libertarian, which I am, but from the perspective of a progressive environmentalist. And why from that perspective, cafe standards not only don't do what I think they do, but they do the opposite of what I think they do. So we'll chat about that uh, a little later as well. I want to start here, though. I think this is an appropriate way to start the uh, the show today. So we have two con- well, we have a bunch of congressmen in San-, San Diego, but we have two Republican congressmen, Daryl Issa and Duncan Hunter. Daryl Issa, he was on the House, uh, not Ways and Means, House, um, oh gosh, I'm sorry, it's escaped me right now. He, he did a lot of the Benghazi hearing stuff. And uh, Duncan Hunter was a Marine. So, But Daryl Issa, He's the kind of guy who's he's in Orange County and San, Northern San Diego, which is pretty conservative. But he was really close to losing this last election, which was shocking for everyone, including him. So anyway, he uh, the two of these guys each had a town hall meeting last Saturday, two separate town halls, separate locations, uh, same time. <laughs> right. So they did that, obviously, to make sure that the same group of protesters didn't go to each of the meetings. Right. A little divide and conquer, if you will. Now. There's kind of this talk that progressives are starting their own version of the Tea Party kind of thing. Ah, whatever. These congressmen, though, they need to do this. They need to have these meetings as part of the deal. But the people who went to these town halls, they're just very, very angry and not over the hysteria of the last election. Most of the people who attended these are just hystericals looking to 
lash out. For instance, this lady, Cliff1413. Uh, my, name, my name is Catherine Scheel. I'm a member of the State Bar of California. I'm a patriot. Uh, my First Amendment rights were violated in this room. I had a very small sign that said, investigate Russia now. There are many other people who have signs here. My, your bodyguard, security guard, came over and took my sign away from me forcibly. I asserted my First Amendment rights of free speech. I told him it was suppression of speech. It was also, um, you know, he was... Can you hold on for a second? Who's got the sign? They took it away from me. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. Who... The only instruction was that signs that were large enough to obstruct, like the gentleman down there that still has his. My, li my sign was not large enough and to I obstruct. Ap I apologize. The instructions you, we had, that gentleman's mine sign Mine was much smaller than that. And I, I sincerely apologize. As you can see, I, I gave no instructions. The fact uniformly, the ones that say that eight, the eight and a half by 11... Mine was, mine was small. It was forcibly taken from me, and it constituted a battery. It was your staff. They committed a criminal offense against me. Well, okay. Thank you very much. We'll go on to somebody who doesn't have a pending lawsuit. Next. All right. Number 809. Hold on. Okay. All right. All right. Stop there. Stop. Lady. <laughs> Lady. This is what I don't get. You spend your entire day to be at this town hall. You wait all day. You finally get your chance at the microphone in front of a congressman. And you spend the whole time talking about your precious sign. And you know she's hysterical because the only thing on her mind is Russia. That's what her sign was all about, too. It's all about Russia. I got a quote here. It's from a German guy who spent the eight years prior to World War II in Japan. And he stayed in Japan throughout the, uh, the entire war as well. And he got out and he wrote a book about uh, Zen. And this is what he wrote. He said, the man with center. This is what they call it in Japan. They call it a, a man who has center. The man with center has calm, unprejudiced judgment. He knows what is important and what is unimportant. The man with center faces life calmly, is tranquil, ready for anything. If suddenly fire breaks out and people begin to shout in wild confusion, he does the right thing immediately and quietly. He ascertains the direction of the wind, rescues what is most important, fetches water, and behaves unhesitatingly in the way the emergency demands. It's a man who has center. That woman did not. Now, we know that this is the right way to react to things. We know this is proper behavior because, and this is what I find so interesting, our pop culture values this, but not our actual culture. And I don't know a better way of wording that, but, but I hope this makes sense. Let me try this again. Like, our pop culture values men with center, but our actual culture doesn't. It's very weird. For instance, have you ever seen the, uh, the Jack Reacher movies? I don't think I've seen the second one. Um, but the, the first Jack Reacher is uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is Jack Reacher. Right? And no matter what happens to him, he's always super calm. 
And in the first movie, there's a scene where five guys start a fight in the street against one guy, Jack Reacher. And Reacher's like, all right, guys, this is your last chance to walk away. And the leader says, what are you talking about? It's five verse one. And Reacher goes, "Uh, it's, it's three verse one. How do you figure? Well, once I take out the leader, that's you. uh, I'll have to take out one or two enthusiastic wingmen. And then the last two guys, they always run. So come on, it's getting late. (laughs) And they fight and he beats the first guy, takes out the next two and the other two guys run. Exactly like he said. Super calm the whole time. And all the great action stars are like this. James Bond, Maximus in Gladiator. All the superheroes, Batman, Iron Man, everyone's chill. Um, everyone who has the force in the Star Wars movie, except for young Luke Skywalker, he's the exception, but that's because he's young. That's the point. He hasn't found his center yet. He hasn't found the force. Indiana Jones, you name it. Even in comedies, like the cool characters, Ferris Bueller, we love them because they always stay calm. They never panic. Every action movie, every Western, the main character is super cool and calm. They never panic. Have you ever seen a, a, a the main character in a movie, freak out and panic. The main character, you know, who's like cool, calm, collective. Have you ever seen it, them freak out ever? Has Clint Eastwood ever had a character where he freaks out and panics? No way. So we know we value this because art reflects it. We know that this is a value because otherwise Jack Reacher and all characters like him would be panic-stricken all the time and would run around with their hair on fire. But they never do. Why not? Because we value it deep down. We value that. We respect that. So that's like pop culture. But in our actual culture, we are encouraged to act like fools. We are goaded into acting like our hair is on fire all the time. That's what the media does. All the time. First of all, the media is full of people who lack center, right? Remember someone who who, who has center, or I should say, excuse me, flip it around. The per- someone who lacks center cannot distinguish between important and unimportant, essential and unessential. And they're easily startled. What is the media if not that? <laughs> Everyone in the media, they cannot distinguish between important and unimportant. And they are easily startled at everything, all the time, constantly, nonstop. They lack center. They lack control over themselves. And they expect you to do the same. I'll give you a silly example here and then I'll, uh, I want to talk about how politicians do this too. But one of the, the, the fake controversies of last week, I hope you missed it. I hope, I hope you don't follow things so closely that you hear this. But Huffington Post did a story about the pioneer woman who I love um, on the Food Network. Like when, I, when my wife and I are looking for a recipe, like a Friday night recipe, we always go to pioneer woman first. She's awesome. And they replayed it, uh, an episode she did from 2012. And the whole kind of shtick of the episode is her husband loves buffalo wings. And Pioneer Woman, the whole thing is like she lives on a farm and her husband's a cowboy, right? So her husband loves buffalo wings. So her whole family and her husband are waiting for her famous buffalo wings. And out of the oven, she pulls out Asian hot wings. And her husband and all the guys in the family are like, wait, what? What's this? We don't want these. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, haha, just joking. And then she pulls out of the oven her buffalo hot wings. And there was this fake outrage that, that she's racist. Because <laughs> her husband doesn't like Asian hot wings. Therefore, Pioneer Woman hates Asian people. 
That's like, what are you talking? What? So I, 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 I hope this has all jumped the shark. Can it, can it please? Like, what is it going to take? This, this outrage culture, it's got to jump the shark soon. Please, I beg of you. So the people who freak out about that are those who don't have any control over themselves. So my argument is let's be more Zen master. Let's be more centered. Let's have more control over ourselves like a Jack Reacher or insert your favorite action movie star here. We can't have an entire country where everyone's panicking all the time. <laughs> you can't, can't function like that. And I blame the people who are intentionally trying to make us panicked. one 888 right, I want to come back and tie this into the politicians with the Bloomberg syndrome. We'll tell you all about that next. Mike Slater Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800 This is Mike Slater. I'm just going to be real here. There's no use uh, hiding it. If you hear uh, a baby crying in the background, that is not, not in your house or your car. That is indeed uh, my son. <laughs> not too far from where I'm sitting right now. So uh, <laughs> you may have heard him right there. Um, long story. Just go with it. So Victor Davis Hanson coined a term called the Bloomberg syndrome. And the Bloomberg syndrome is the inability for a politician to determine what is important versus what is not important, what is essential or not essential. So Michael Bloomberg, of course, the former mayor of New York City, he went on this massive crusade against salt. Remember, no more salt shakers on tables and, and soda, right? Limiting the size of soda you can buy. So that like so that's unimportant. But during the 2010 blizzard, the city was completely incompetent in clearing the roads and people couldn't leave their apartments for days in certain areas because of his incompetence on what is important, right? As a mayor of a city, clearing the roads from a snowstorm. So here's Victor Davis Hanson. The Bloomberg syndrome is a characteristic of contemporary government officials. When they are unwilling or unable to address pre-modern problems in their jurisdictions, crime, crumbling infrastructure, inadequate transportation, etc., they compensate by posing as philosopher kings who cheaply lecture on existential challenges 
over which they have no control. So in Chicago, you got Rahm Emanuel talking about immigration and and sanctuary cities and uh, keeping Chick-fil-A out of Chicago because Chick-fil-A doesn't have Chicago values. Meanwhile, Chicago is the murder capital of the country, right? So we're not going to focus on that, but we're going to talk about Chick-fil-A or Jerry Brown, the governor of California, talking about global warming and going on these global warming crusades and literally traveling the world, uh, speaking out against global warming or whatever. But people are evacuating. 200,000 people are evacuating a town because the state's second largest dam might collapse. <laughs> right? So it's like, guys, the inability to determine what's important or unimportant, essential or unessential. Ed Driscoll wrote about uh, a movie called Manhattan, a Woody Allen movie called Manhattan. I've not seen it, I will admit. But I do know that it stars the highly overrated Meryl Streep. And uh, it's a movie about a, a TV comedy writer who's annoyed that he has to keep churning out garbage and he dreams of being the great, uh, the next great American novelist. That's how IMDb describes it. So I'm going with it. So at one point, Woody Allen, he, he talks into a tape recorder as he's outlining his new book. And he says, an idea for a short story about people in Manhattan who are constantly creating these real unnecessary neurotic problems for themselves because it keeps them from dealing with more unsolvable, terrifying problems about the universe. Isn't that a perfect example of what we've all been doing lately? Just in general, just people creating real, the real in the sense that like they have to actually deal with it, but it's that they, they create them. Right? So they're, they're real, but they're unnecessary and they're neurotic problems and you create them for yourself. Why would you do that? Oh, you do it to avoid dealing with more important things. That's why Victor Davis Hanson in this article for national review, he entitled it. Don't sweat the big stuff, <laughs> right? As opposed to don't sweat the small stuff. It's don't sweat the big stuff. So our governor in California, he can't properly deliver enough water to the people who live in his state. But he will fantasize about building a train that no one wants all day long. All right, that's someone who can't, who can't distinguish between what's important or unimportant. By the way, quick little, uh, because I just mentioned the train, I got a couple minutes here. Can I give a little high-speed rail update? You may not be following this. So high-speed rail, 2010, the voters of California passed this thing. Total disaster. I, I can't, I'm going to share one story here. This is one one hundredth of of everything I can share to you about this giant boondoggle. It's called the Brown Doggle, after Jerry Brown, and it's 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 hilarious. And you would laugh if you wouldn't cry for it. You laugh so you don't cry. It's it is unbelievable waste of money. So the first section of the high speed rail train is is from Merced to Shafter. These are two towns. I'm going to look it up. Merced, California. I don't think, how many people live in Merced? Uh, let's see. Un momento. A population of 81,000. That's even bigger than I thought. And then Shafter is 20 miles north of Bakersfield. So Shafter has a population, I'm not even kidding, I think of like 2,000. Okay, so, so that's the first section of the rail. And they're building it there because it's the cheapest section. And they really think that if they can get some rail laid then people will be like, ah, oh, well, I mean, we got to finish it, right? So they're starting it there in between two zero population centers, right? Who's going to ride the high-speed rail between Merced and Shafter? Anyway, just that one section is already 50% over budget. It was supposed to be $6.4 billion. Now it's $10 billion. 
and it was set to open this year, and now it's set to open 2024. So they're 50% over budget, seven years late. Not a single track of uh, a rail has been laid. Not a single track. And it's 50% over budget and, and seven years too late. And when they first pitched the high-speed rail, they said the whole thing from, uh, from LA to San Francisco was going to be $10 billion. And now just this one little section is $10 billion and they haven't even started yet. That's not even the story. The Trans Bay Transit Center. Downtown San Francisco it broke ground in 2010 and set to open this year. Huge, three blocks long. It's actually beautiful, um, but it's it's enormous. And this is where the high speed rail is supposed to go in, and then it, it has the buses there too. So it's a bus station and the train station. Now the thing is, opening day is going to be in a couple months, and there won't be any rail because there's no rail anywhere, and hopefully there never is, but there, there's none yet. Which means there is a massive 4.5 billion dollar bus station built to accommodate a hundred thousand visitors a day but the buses only account for about ten thousand people now this whole thing was built on the assumption that a hundred thousand people would be buying train tickets and food and shopping in the stores and all the rest so now city officials are freaking out and scrambling over how to pay to keep this building clean and to keep it from falling down because no one's actually going to be using it again meanwhile the state can't figure out how to give water to people. But we're building $4.5 billion bus stations. This is what happens when you can't distinguish between what is important and unimportant. It's the Bloomberg Syndrome. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Um, let's chat about this for a second. So on my local show, I had an interesting exchange. I did a segment about, we don't have time to go into the whole thing now. It's really not even that important, but we did a segment about Fukushima and the nuclear power plant in Japan. There was the earthquake and the tsunami and, and uh, all these articles being written about the nuclear, uh, the plume that's making its way to California. And it's like all this just outright unbelievable, like this fear-mongering, panic-stricken about about Fukushima. And I did a whole segment about how that's just just not true. Just don't don't believe that stuff. And I don't have time to do the whole thing, but the amount of, of uh, radiation in the water that has reached Oregon that scientists have tested that all these articles are being written about, the amount of uh, radiation there is, um, or I should say, flip around, sorry. There's, ra- there's actually a scientific thing called... Um, uh, hold on, hold on. The banana equivalent dose. There it is. So it's how much radiation uh, is in a banana. So long story short, there's fifty thousand times as much radiation in a medium-sized banana as there is in the water that from Japan that has reached Oregon. Fifty thousand times as much radiation in a banana, but nothing in the article talks about that. Right? They just talk about the nuclear plume that's coming so there's no perspective so i talked about that and then i had a couple of people call in and be like slater you what do you know you're a scientist or you're not a scientist you're just a nothing blah 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 stuff all right i'm not a scientist 
but I am in the media and persuasion business. And I can see when people are being dishonest and trying to hide something or sell something or get you to click on something or get you to become uh, uh, panic stricken about something. And that's what this was. So I'm not asking you to listen to me when it comes to radioactivity. I'm not asking you to trust me. That would be prideful, which is what one caller said I was. I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to not listen to fear mongering from the clickbait media that's scaring you without giving you any proper perspective. So that's the intro to what I want to talk about here. I want to talk about science. You know how the media is very disliked right now by pretty much everyone. They did that to themselves, right? They lost our trust because of their own actions. Science is also getting a very bad name, and many scientists have done this to themselves. Now, that's a broad brush of people because obviously there's amazing scientists doing amazing things that have nothing to do with what I'm talking about here. But there is a group of scientists that are doing uh, their field a very big disservice. Now, there's three players involved here that I want to talk about. There's bad science, bad scientists, and a lazy media. Those are the three I want to run through quick. First, bad science. So, Science has to be, and you can go back to, I don't even know what grade this would be, probably like sixth grade probably, sixth grade science. Science has to be observable, testable, repeatable, and falsifiable. So you have to be able to look at it, observable, testable, you have to be able to test something, repeatable, you have to be able to test it over and over and over and over and over again, and then falsifiable, you have to be able to prove it, prove a thesis false. So we can break down all these, but let's just look at repeatability. A few years ago, a researcher did an analysis of research and took the 100 most famous psychology studies, and they tried to reproduce the results. They tried to replicate the results, which again is is essential. If you can't, it's not science. You must be able to reproduce the results. So they reproduced a hundred of these studies and only a third of them were reproduced the same. That means two thirds of those studies are total garbage, total garbage, not science. Now that me saying, well, that's just like psych studies. Those are, it's not real. A biotech firm then took 53 of the top studies on cancer research and found that only six were able to be replicated. Again, that's not science. There are major biases of all kinds going on. And and we could take time to go through all of them. There's literally hundreds. But the obvious one is that scientists really, really want their hypothesis, uh, hypothesis to be true. So when they have the data, they don't look at where their results could be false. They don't look at where they could be wrong. They only look at the things that prove what they want to prove to be true. And they run with that. And they'll change some things or not include some things or only look at certain things and not look at other things in order to make their results the way they want it. It's just a bias that all humans have because scientists are human. So they they fall into this trap of performing bad science. That's number one. Then you have bad scientists. Now, they're not bad people, but they're bad scientists. Semmelweis is my favorite example of this. We've told this story a hundred times. Mid-1800s, there were a a ton of women dying after childbirth. Not during childbirth, but after childbirth. And year after year, 
this was happening over and over and it was getting worse and worse. And finally, Semmelweis, who was a doctor, said, hey, just tonight, crazy idea. Maybe when we perform an autopsy on a dead body in the morning, we should wash our hands after before we go give birth and, or go deliver a baby in the afternoon. So literally, the doctors would perform an autopsy, walk down the hall, deliver a baby. And Semmelweis was the first doctor that said, hey, maybe we should wash our hands. He was called a kook and a Jew, and he was fired. He went insane, and he died a few years later, literally in an insane asylum. It wasn't for like another 10 years before doctors were like, oh, maybe he was right. This was 150 years ago. It was the first time doctors uh, washed their hands. So these other scientists who ignored him are bad scientists, right? They ignored a suggestion because it was against consensus. The thing with science is it's about proving things false, right? Good scientists prove things false, right? Good scientists don't prove things true. They prove things false. So if you are trying to prove something true, you are a bad scientist. That's just, you're, you're not, you're not moving. You're not, operating in the right posture. You want to prove things false, not true. All these doctors and scientists around Semmelweis were uh, blinded by consensus, which is don't wash your hands. They wouldn't even listen to someone else who said maybe we should. Amazing, amazing story. Semmelweis, S-E-M-M-E-L. It's a cool story if you want to read more. S-E-M-M-E-L-W-E-I-S, Semmelweis. Uh, Okay, so you got bad science, bad scientists, And then you have an ignorant, lazy media. So last year, a scientist uh, published a study that said eating chocolate helps you lose weight. He said, if you eat a chocolate bar every day, you'll lose weight 10% faster. Published a study, a newspaper in Germany picked it up, and then it exploded all around the world. 20 countries translated into six different languages every news show like morning news show talked about it uh all the magazines shape magazine wrote an article why you must eat chocolate daily and all this stuff now here's the thing with this study a real scientist did it and a real scientist did a real study let me quote here um my colleagues and i this is the guy who did it my colleagues and i recruited actual human subjects in germany we ran an actual clinical trial and the statistically significant benefits of chocolate that we reported are based on the actual data. Here's the key. It was, in fact, a fairly typical study for the field of diet research, which is to say it was terrible science. The results are meaningless. And the health claims that the media blasted out to millions of people around the world are utterly unfounded. So this, this guy, the scientist, did a study And maybe in the next segment, I can explain how he did it, but did a study knowing the results would be meaningless as an experiment to see how many people in the media would repeat the findings without any critical analysis whatsoever. And to see how far it would go. He had no idea how quickly this would spread and how far it would spread 20 countries, six different languages. And it was a total joke. He even sent the, uh, the the study to uh, a bunch of peer reviewed journals and half of them printed it. And the media ran with it. Why? Because they don't know and they don't care. They're lazy. The media is lazy and they need to churn out content and make money. And a sensational headline like eat chocolate and lose weight 
is, is something that's going to, uh, that media reporters are going to report on because it's easy and they're not going to start. They're not going to look at the results and be like, Oh, you're, um, you're, a P equation is only uh, 0.01. It's not 0.005 or whatever. Like, no way. They're not going to look at that stuff. They're just going to look, oh, st- more chocolate makes you skinny. And <laughs> they run with that. Or, I don't know, radiation from Fukushima is going to kill you. News at 11. Lazy, ignorant media. And I don't really, I mean, yeah, I do blame these people, but they're, they're, their goal is, remember, what's the number one priority of TV news? Fill time. Okay? What's the number one priority of of magazines, newspapers, just churn it out. Just write something, fill the pages. We got ads to sell, just fill the pages. So this guy, the scientist, did did this chocolate study entirely as a social experiment to see how gullible the media can be. So we have bad science, like poorly designed studies, bad science, bad scientists, not bad people, but bad scientists, and a lazy media. We have all those three things coming together and it creates a lot of fear and a lot of panic and a lot of waste of time and money. So what do we do with this? I want to quote from Alex Epstein. Uh, his book is called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. This is required reading for everyone who listens to this show. The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. In the book, he says, trust experts, not as authority figures to be obeyed, but as advisors to one's own independent thought process and decision-making. An advisor is someone who knows more than you about the specifics, but knows only part of what you need and can be wrong. And we have this problem in America where if someone says, scientists say, or or, uh, uh, this study was in a peer-reviewed journal, it turns our brain off or we turn our own brain off, right? We're like, oh, well, scientists say. Or the classic global warming one is 97% of scientists agree, which is total, total lie, absolute total lie. So like, I, we don't have time to go into the whole thing, but there's a bunch of scientists who are in that group of 97% and who are like, oh, I, whoa, 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 I don't agree. I, I'm in that 97% somehow, but I don't, I don't agree, right? And then some who definitely don't agree, of course, aren't included, uh, it's a, a total scam that whole 97% of scientists agree, but you can see the point is to turn your brain off because most people think that all science is perfect. All scientists are great. And whatever the media says is true. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of bad science. There's a lot of bad scientists and the media is lazy and ignorant. And none of those things should be an excuse for you to turn your brain off. one 888 Slater radio on Twitter. Mike Slater show the blaze radio network spread the word. This is. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders. Thanks for being here. Um, Does all that bad science stuff make sense? Let me, uh, is it worth reading this? Yeah, I think it is. So, cause I, I, I really, cause I did this, I talked about this on my local show the other day and that afternoon I read a study about, and you know what? I think may still be on, uh, on drudge. It was something like 
good sleep is as important as winning the lottery or as good for you as winning the lottery or something like that. And I really hope everyone reads something like that and says, that doesn't even make any sense. What do you, what are you like? What does that even mean? And there's no way to really prove that. Like it's so goofy and just not to be distracted and fall for that stuff. So I think it's worth talking about this. So the, the fake chocolate study, eat, eat a chocolate bar every day and, and lose weight 10% faster. Uh, here's the guy who wrote it or did the study. He said, here's a dirty little secret. If you measure a large number of things about a small number of people, you are almost guaranteed to get a statistically significant result. Our study included 18 different measurements, weight, cholesterol, sodium, blood protein levels, sleep quality, well-being, etc., from only 15 people. This study design is a recipe for false positives. He says, think of it like buying lottery tickets. Right? The more tickets you buy, the more likely you are to win. He says, we, don't know, we didn't know exactly what would pan out. Right? The headline could have been that chocolate improves sleep or lowers blood pressure or whatever. But we knew our chances of getting at least one statistically significant result were pretty good. I, uh, and he goes on and he talks about how people can uh, manipulate data to come up with whatever they want. So I watched a guy, uh, he was a scientist doing a presentation for um, some college class about how easy it is to manipulate scientific data. And he started with the absurd proposition that there's a direct correlation between the length of a country's name and their GDP. Okay, so like the number of letters in the country's name correlates to the GDP of the country, right? That's, that's his theory, that's his thesis, his hypothesis. So he types in the names of the countries and then the GDP size, and he puts it on a scatter plot. And there were a couple outliers, right? Obviously, there's no correlation. So he went back to the data and he said, well, no one calls it Netherlands. So he changed it to the Netherlands. And no one calls it the United Kingdom. He changed it to UK, right? And he changed all these little things here and there. And it ended up, sure enough, there was a correlation between the size of the name and the GDP, which is absurd. Now, that's a goofy little example, but... When you're talking climate change and there's billions of dollars and a ton of power at stake, you better darn well be sure that people are going to manipulate data for their own ends. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.